0: We're going to be talking in this class time about suffering with family. You don't need to turn here unless you want to take notes and write this down somewhere, but you will know it already. Romans chapter 12 and verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So, do you? I want to ask a question, but I don't want to make you say something that you don't want to say. The question is, do you love this subject as much as I do? I mean, I love I love Bible study, but I love Bible study when it's talking about things that just stab me right in the heart. And it's like, I want that. I love it so much. The family stuff, the unity. I've said it over and over again. You read about Acts chapter 2 and what the first church looked like, and I think, I want that and cooperating together and i want people in my life who are going to help me and and just all of these things the love i want to love as jesus loved me and i want to be loved by you as Je- all of these things it's just so nice and especially when everything's clicking the way it's supposed to and and it's working the way it's supposed to it's like man church church family it's just fun it's fun And I love it, and I want to be a part of it. It's just great. But here's the thing. Sometimes in family there's hurt, and that's when it's game day. All of this other stuff is necessary and really nice, but when it's somebody's turn to suffer, um, we go. And this is one of those things that I'd like you to pay special attention to because failure in this lesson is not really an option it is an option people do it all of the time and uh, you know don't raise your hand on this one but how many times have we heard somebody say my mom died and nobody called me or or something like that similar to that and the, the 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 spiritual emotional damage that not showing up for your family when your family needs you will cause is catastrophic. And so here's what I would ask you to do in this study, especially. Unity, you know, tape buffalo. I like the video and it's neat. Now remember the video and love and the story. And I always get to talk about myself and how I'm not good at all of those things. But on this lesson, let's do this where we say, okay, you know, the the biblical language for this one is gird up your loins, tighten up your bell, because we can't mess this one up. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 and 2 starts out with our reminder that we're talking about family things, brothers, and then Paul says, bear one another's burdens. And the picture is, let's say you're carrying a load and it's super heavy and maybe even too heavy for you to carry right now and it's a physical picture right but sometimes the load is on our heart but the the brothers bear one another's burdens the picture is you don't have to carry it alone cuz i'm going to help you you know you could do a lot of different passages in the bible the one passage that i think of all of the time is where moses was holding up his hands and um in the i went to the police academy in 2004 And one of the torture techniques that they liked to do to us during that time was, okay, you got to run around this track. And once we got to where we were dying from running around the track, they said, all right, take a folding chair and hold it above your head. And you think, oh, hey, it's a little plastic folding chair. No big deal. Try it when you get home. You don't have to hold that folding chair above your head very long before it's like, oh, man, it feels like a gazillion pounds. But what if there was somebody there to hold up your arms for you and help you? Help you carry that load and lift the weight that's too hard for you to hold right now. And so that's the thing that we're going to be talking about in this lesson. I want to start I want to start with just some conversation about this. And I'm sorry that it can't be two-way and that we can't talk about this more. But how many times would you raise your hand? How many times have you... In a hospital situation, or a funeral situation, or some other kind of thing like that, and you have looked around and actively thought these words—it is even a quote. How many times have you done this, where you've thought these words? I don't know how people do it without a church family. That's like a—that's a—I don't know who taught us that, but we all know it, <laughs> and we all say it. It and, and it's every single time you show up at a funeral and your church family is 80% of the crowd there and and it's like i don't know how this happens if you don't have a family of god's people i don't know how you do it i don't know how this how this works some of my worst memories are connected to some of my fondest memories for this reason um this is the mike stories that i've been telling you about all of, all of the time i became a christian in january of 1997 and, um, I was, I was a late teenager, 17 years old. And, um, I didn't really know. No, that's not true. I didn't really know. I didn't know anything about the Bible at that time. I was coming in to a church situation because of my wife. Uh, we went to high school together and I thought she was cool. Uh, and so she brought me to church and, uh, so I became a Christian in 97, and so let's see, 97, 98, 99, 2000, four years. Those were some formative years for me. I was blessed with an outstanding church family who raised me and loved me and gave me a great spiritual experience and said, "Now go and do this. Um, but I don't really have a lot of memories from those four years. I know that I was growing during that time. My first real memory of Christianity was in two thousand one when my wife's eleven year old brother died. Becky and I were, and her brother were in Florida uh at school and David Owen was a preacher at the brandon church and we didn't we we were acquaintances with one another, but David got a call, and uh his job was to come, and he pulled me out of class and told me and we went and got Andy. Uh, Becky's brother out of class and we told him your little brother just passed away and then Andy and uh David and I went to where Becky was working at a call center and and we got her out of work and, and told her the news and so just immediately grabbed our stuff went to the airport and got on a plane to go home um Mike is Becky's dad's best friend and has been for years and Mike was on a business trip in Boston and he beat us home that's the thing that that's the that's my first real memory of Christianity and what Christianity does because I remember showing up and everybody was talking about it and Mike was already there and it's like I expect to see Mike in a situation like this with the family but you know Mike is just now barely walking in before us because he heard the news and he left what he was doing where he was in Boston and said that is my brother I'm going home right now and he beat us home and that's one of those things that burns itself onto I told it Mike I have told that story all over the country and it feels different to say it when I'm looking actually at you for the first time it's a it's a little weird um but uh that's really something and i i remember i remember in that moment of suffering saying okay that's what it looks like um so another one i promise this isn't just story time with ryan but this is where this is where we learn these things i think and you all will have your own stories and i i, I really enjoy hearing those um so in 2011 becky was 20 weeks pregnant with my third child Olivia and we went in to find out with the ultrasound if she was going to be a boy or a girl and this was our third time so the ultrasound was taking a little bit longer than normal and Becky started to cry and I was like what's wrong and Becky said to the ultrasound person there's something wrong isn't there and the lady said well you know I need to go get a doctor And the doctor comes back and takes a look, and she says, it looks like your baby has spina bifida, and we didn't, I don't don't think I had ever even heard of spina bifida um, at that point in in my life, and so my first thought was, my baby's going to die, like I just went straight there, Um, but she said, you know, this is, no, I don't think we're in that kind of a situation, but There's going to be some stuff in your life now that we're going to have to start preparing for. And and so we did. And that was on a Wednesday. And I remember that I went home and I said to Becky, let's not go to church tonight. I mean, we found that out in the afternoon. Who wants to go to Bible study on Wednesday after? I just didn't feel like it. but I was teaching class and it was Wednesday afternoon and I had to. And so we went, and I started class, and I just said, hey, everyone, you know, I'm distracted right now. And I said, "Uh, we're having a girl, but, and when I said but, there was a lady that sat right back there where you guys are in the back row on the right. Her name was Doris Johnson. And it's funny to do it now, but I said but, and Doris went, oh, no. And it was like this, this, this. This moan. But its I'm not doing it right. That's the problem. It's burned into my head. I can hear it. And I know that it's not right when it comes out of my mouth. Because there was so much pain in that woman's sigh. That she was actively feeling my pain. And Bible class was really short that night. And we all just were together. And it's like man, I'm so glad that God gave me a family because the unity stuff and the love stuff and the cooperation stuff is great. But when you're suffering, that's game day. And that's when it's time to step up and be the thing that God called us to be. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10 with me, please. This is one of those passages, if you mark or, hundred or, hundred or line or do anything in your Bible, you're definitely gonna wanna do that with this. I just love this passage. In Hebrews chapter 10, I'm going to start reading in verse 32 here in just a second. And uh, I I need to start with this. Um, In early Christianity, there are two groups of people who suffered for their faith. You will be familiar with the one called martyrs. A martyr is somebody who died because of their Christianity. But sometimes people just suffered not just suffered, some people did suffer like they got fired from their jobs, they were tortured and abused, but they didn't die. And so those people are not called martyrs, those people are called confessors. It's not in the Bible, it's just a thing that you talk about with early Christianity. And and so there's a confessor, and so imagine that you have been arrested, and you're in jail because of your faith, And the jail system is not like what it is now, where at least you're going to be provided food. If you want to survive, well, let me read it to you. Here's a quote. To survive in a Roman prison, a person had to depend on his family to bring him the necessities of food and clothing so that he could stay alive long enough to face his accusers. For the Christians, the church was their family. And so let's imagine that you are persecuted and suffering and maybe in jail because of your faith. It's our job to take care of that person. That's what Hebrews 10 is talking about. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 32, But recall in former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach, And affliction. So this is where I stop because this is where I start to just love this passage. Sometimes it's your turn to walk through the fire. Sometimes this happens to God's people. You are exposed to reproach and affliction, but listen to this. This is the one that's highlighted in my Bible. And sometimes being partners with those so treated. So, Sometimes it's your turn to walk through the fire. And when it is, it's my job to walk with you. To be a partner with you as you are being exposed to reproach and affliction. In verse 34, for you had compassion on those in prison. That's the thing that we were talking about. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. That's probably enough, but if you turn over to chapter 13, since we're here in this text and you only have to turn right a couple of times, it's worth noticing that you see the same thing again in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 3. Remember those who are in prison, and then this is what's highlighted. As though in prison with them, when it's your turn to suffer, my job is to be as if I'm suffering also. You, you're you having a difficult time carrying your heavy load, and so you're not going to carry it by yourself. I'm going to be there. Brothers bear one another's burdens. Uh, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. We're all together one body, and so it's one of those things where if somebody comes up here and and stomps on my toe, my toe hurts, but my whole body reacts. the pain is right there, but the rest of the body is like that's our pain altogether. And that's the way that it is in the family of God's people when suffering happens, we suffer together. And so I have two things for you. Number 1, with suffering together, I don't know how to say this in a way that will hit as hard as it needs to hit. So I'll just say it and I'll ask you to please pay attention and let it hit you hard. When suffering happens, it's time to show up. It's not time for text messaging or phone calls. It's time to show up. There is is no excuse or replacement for showing up. My job is to be there. That's what Mike taught me. My job is to be there. Last August, mom sent a text message. This is what it said. Uh, It was this thing about daddy has esophageal cancer. And uh, this is the end of the text message. I just wanted to let you guys know, but I'm not ready to talk about it or see anyone. And so we got this text message and my sister just immediately calls me and she says, what do I do? And I said, go. I mean, she's 20 minutes away. I'm four hours away. It took me just a, a minute to get there. But she said, but mom didn't, Mom said she just wants some time and always go. <laughs> that, that's the thing to take away from this point. If you want to write something down to remember on this point, your point is always go. Show up. We always need to be there. thats That's the thing that I need you to take away from this. Turn over to Job chapter 2. I want to show you... An example of this, especially I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about my dysfunction a little bit more and and how I'm uh, wired incorrectly and I don't feel all the things always that I need to feel and so it's kind of a joke with people who know me, especially you know in Bible class we've been going through this Bible class at Ellisville and people will tell us your example of when somebody showed up for you and somebody will tell the example. And they are just sobbing and crying. And I do this. I don't know what to do right now. <laughs> you know. And so even with my wife. God made one woman for me. And she's just perfect for me. And she does it too. You know. She'll get upset. And she'll start crying. And I'm like. So I just. Hey. I... I'm sorry. Like, I don't know what to say. I feel your pain, but... So if you're with me on that, and you hear this thing about, we need to show up for our hurting family without fail. And the the idea is always go, always show up. If your response is my response and something like this, but I don't have any idea what I'm gonna say. Cause that's my first reaction all the time. W- what am I supposed to do? When I show up, this is your text. In Job chapter 2 and verses 11 through 13, now when Job's three friends heard that all this evil had happened, had come upon him, they came each from his own place. uh, Parentheses. They showed up when they needed to. Uh, They came each from his own place. Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shoei, Zophar, the Namathite, They made an appointment together to come and to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him, and they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes, and they sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. Do you know what that is? That is, I don't have the same affliction that you have, but I'm going to suffer with you. That's what you're reading about in that passage. In verse 13, And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. And if you're familiar with the book of Job, this is the message. Show up. Always show up. But I don't know what I'm supposed to say. Your message from Job is they were still his friends until they opened their mouth. And so here's the lesson. I don't know what to say. Great. Just be there. That's the lesson. You just need to be there. And this is the thing that I really want you to get out of this lesson. We can't drop the ball on this one. Because if you don't show up when somebody needs you to show up, they will never forget it and And we're talking about a level of not just i'm going to remember the hurt that's the sort of thing that creates spiritual problems for people in their relationship with the Lord. show up, you gotta show up um so in two thousand nineteen August, I am a chaplain for our police department, also Police department, and what that means for me is my main job is to ride with the officers and to be an ear for them. That's all that it is, to listen. And that's another place where this thing shows up all the time. I often don't know what to say, but I'm here with you. That's my job, is to be present. We call it, like if we go to chaplain's training, they call it a ministry of presence, just show up. Um, And so I'm a chaplain. I got a call. Um, In August of 2019, this girl was August, so the school year's about ready to start. She's going to start her senior year, and this girl has everything. She's beautiful. She's got great grades, everything. But her Her boyfriend broke up with her that morning. So she went home, and she got her daddy's gun out of his closet, got in the bathtub, and took her own life. And so I don't get calls out to scenes like that often, But that's an example of where I will go. And since my job is to support the officers, not the family, my job is to be there as a support for the officers. And so I show up and I'm there. And at some point along the way, what can I do for you all right now? What do you need? And they say, can you just go be with the family? Because they don't have the skills or desire to do that. You know, they're on the clock. This is their... Your job's, got it. That's how I'll support you. So I come over here with the family and the first words out of my mouth after I am so sorry about what has just happened to you. The first words out of my mouth, because I'm thinking, you know where I'm coming from. Do you have a church family? Number one, that's the first thing I want to know, like activate now, because this is what we do. And so they say, yes, 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 we go to a church. And this is the irony and the joke of this story. The church is called the family church. And so I'm like, got it. Uh, I'll take care of it. I'll find the number. You guys do your thing. I'll find the number. So do do do. call the family church. And I get, thank you for calling the family church. And I get to like, if you need to talk to somebody, please press 37. You know, we're way down the line here. So, okay. And already I'm irritated. Because you know what you would do in that thing. You would like speed dial one of your brothers. And so here we go. And I get an answering service. And the answering service says, um, okay, uh, uh, I see I see their names on the list here. And I'm really sorry about this situation. Uh, I can hear this woman's voice in my head. Even as I say it, she goes, okay, so um, are you going to need someone to call you back about this? And I lost my mind. Yes, I'm going to need someone to call me back. And so 40 minutes later, I get a call from one of their pastors. And uh, Pastor, whatever his name is, calls me up. Okay, yeah, I know who you're talking about. I know that family. Uh, They've been here for a long time. Um, Are they going to need someone to come out to their house tonight? I don't even know what to say. That's like literally your worst nightmare. Nothing that bad has ever happened in this family's life until right now. And I'm hitting numbers to get to an answering service and Pastor What's-His-Name is saying, so do they need me to come out tonight? Uh, I know that level of something would never happen among God's people in a situation like this. But learn that lesson and don't even get close. Let that lesson be a reminder to you to say, my job is to show up and to be there. And I cannot drop the ball when my time comes. That's number one. Number two, turn over to 1 Kings chapter 19, please, with me. 1 Kings chapter 19, we're going to talk about Elijah for just a minute. Number one, you need to show up. Number two, if you are a part of God's family and you're alone and you're suffering by yourself, you don't have to. That's not the way that it was designed to be. And so, you know, I'm suffering and I'm hurting and I'm doing it all by myself and I've got this heavy load and it's bearing down on my heart. It wasn't meant to be that way. That you do it by yourself. And so 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 14, you have this story of Elijah, and I'm not going to read the whole setup. Uh, The setup is something like this, you know, Elijah's having the worst day of his life. Uh, God told him to deliver this message. He did it. And the most powerful people around him get mad about it and say, you're dead. And so he's literally running for his life. Like if he doesn't run and get out of there, he's going to be killed. And and he's tired, and he's hungry. You want to talk about the burden on your heart? This guy's doing it right now. That's where we are with Elijah. 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 14, Elijah says, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. Um, that That's this. And you will probably know this feeling. You don't have to have the worst day of your life to know this feeling. What he said right there is, I feel like I'm all by myself. The people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And so here's a guy who's hurting and he's alone. Um, And I want you to notice what happens. I I, I like to just jump down to the next section, but let's keep reading here verse 15. The Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And so in verse 19 on my page, There's like a gap in the text, and I have a heading, and the heading in the next section is The Call of Elisha. And what I want to suggest to you is that that's not accidental. It's not accidental that five lines up on the page, Elisha, Elijah, is experiencing the worst day of his life, and he feels like he's all by himself, and then your eyeballs skip down five lines, and you see God say, I'm going to give you a friend. I'm going to give you a partner and you're not going to have to carry this load all by yourself and then we won't do this but if you flip through the next couple of pages you're going to see God say and here's another prophet and here's another prophet and here's another prophet and here's another prophet I'm all by myself and God says no you're not or at least you don't have to be God provides for us in our time of need and this is one of the spaces where i'll say uh this thing and i'm not i i'm sympathetic to your situation and especially someone like me you know i'm more i'm more private about this but can i just throw this out here right now if you are suffering by yourself i'm not a mind reader um at the very minimum i need you to let me know i need you to let our people know and and when you let your people know activate here we go but you don't sit around and suffer by yourself and think no one's here and expect them to just know we don't do that we we're we're not we're not mind readers but you let us know you don't have to suffer alone and that would be the invitation part of this lesson if i know it's a class we're not going to do an invitation but the invitation part of this lesson is the worst thing in the world is to be isolated and alone and god has provided for us so that we don't have to do that can i just show you some stuff with jesus in matthew 26 look over there with me real quick in matthew chapter six, uh 26 matthew 26 i'm going to start reading in verse 36 and what i intend to do is to look at at least three different passages so that you know where we're headed here if, if you're writing your notes. When I think about the suffering of Jesus, there are a lot of things that just really jump out of the page at me and make me think to myself, I don't want to do that, ever. Um, you know, the being spit upon and punched in the face and the crown of thorns, and the whips on the back, and the suffocating to death on a cross. No. I, that's that's a level of physical hurt that I don't ever want to do. But, you know, there's another aspect of Jesus' suffering besides the physical hurt, and that is that he did it by himself. All of these things that you're like, no, I don't ever want to do that. He did it, and he was alone while he did it. So Matthew chapter 26 In verses 36 through 46, you can see uh, on, on your heading in your Bible that this is Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he takes his closest friends with him, and he says, Will you pray with me? It's a simple request. I need you guys right now. I can't do this by myself. Will you pray with me? And they fell asleep like multiple times. Jesus is saying, will you do that? And so the aloneness, the aloneness factor is the piece that really hurts. If you look over at Mark chapter 14 and verse 50, I know this is a little verse and that I could just read it out and quote it to you. And that would probably be enough to get the message across. But this is one of those little, little verses that unless you're paying close attention, you're just going to totally miss it. It's going to go over your head and you won't see it. Here is the betrayal and the arrest of Jesus and all of these things are happening. Jesus is speaking. Why are you doing this thing? In verse 50, though, this is one of those things. I remember when I was reading this and it's like I saw it for the very first time and they all left him and fled. So you're Jesus in this situation and here are the closest people in your life in your greatest hour of need and they run away and the opposite direction. There's the physical pain that Jesus experienced in this passion narrative when he was suffering and being crucified, but there is a whole different level of emotional pain and aloneness that goes with that to the extent that you can see Matthew chapter 27 and verse 46, Jesus calls out in some of his dying moments, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's where we're going to have this giant theological conversation about, well, what really happened? Here's the deal. You're on a cross, and everybody's left you. You're going to feel like you're by yourself. And Jesus is crying out, God, where are you right now? And so when you think about Jesus, the thing to imagine is the emotional distress and hurt and feeling, and the weight on the heart of aloneness. You don't just suffer, you have to suffer by yourself. But here's the great thing about Jesus that I want you to especially listen to. Jesus did all of that stuff by himself and alone. Listen. So you don't have to. The purpose. He endured it by himself so that When it's my turn, I've got this. And so you're not alone. And if you feel like you're alone, would you please let us know and say something so that we can do the thing that we're supposed to do? Two things. When suffering happens, activate. And if you're suffering by yourself, you don't have to. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions@thebibleway.com. Questions@thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person, come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.